0: The Cannabis Conversation A European perspective on the emerging legal
1: cannabis industry Welcome to The Cannabis Conversation with the Anoush Desai where we explore the new legal cannabis industry by speaking to the professionals that are helping to shape it. Welcome back. Hope you're all well. I've just had a lovely Easter break with the family up in Northumberland, a beautiful part of England near the border of Scotland. I also managed to get to Printworks in London before it shuts down earlier this week, and I saw my favourite DJ, Giles Peterson. So all in all, I'm feeling pretty good and energised. I hope you all too. In cannabis news, reality seems to have set in a bit with Germany's plans for legalisation. The plans for full legalisation seem to be scaling back, given legal hurdles coming from the EU. It was always going to be difficult to overcome some of these, as we previously discussed on the show. Looks likely they'll go down the route of trials, decriminalisation, home homegrown to begin with. Hopefully this pragmatic approach gives hope for longer term success. Looks like a few businesses will need to rewrite their over-optimistic pitch decks to match this reality, though. I'm off to Brighton on Friday where I'll be chairing a panel at the Brighton Medical Cannabis Summit. It's hosted by Clark French and the team at the United Patients Alliance who are one of the original patient advocate organisations in the UK. It will be great to see a lot of people and hear from patients on the challenges they face and the progress that's being made or lack of. It should be a great event so if you're on the south coast please do join us. I've posted info on our LinkedIn page. Once again, this episode is sponsored by our good friends at Lumino. We're talking about cannabis seeds today. Lumino have recruited for a number of cultivation teams from master growers to to all their support staff. They've also worked on a number of breeding projects too, so well-versed with these type of roles. They're always happy to chat, best guys in the industry. So as always, if you need help with HR or recruitment, get in touch at luminorecruit.com. And obviously, please do mention my name when you do. Now, on with the show. Enjoy. On today's show, I have Jorge Cervantes, Dr. Gary Yates, and Stefan Meyer. Jorge is a world-renowned expert on indoor, outdoor, and greenhouse cannabis cultivation and writer of a new book, We Grow Cannabis. Gary is Chief Scientific Officer at Pharmaceeds. Pharmaceeds are a specialist supplier of propagation materials and have expertise in commercial cannabis, helping cannabis and hemp cultivators worldwide. And we have... Finally on the show, Stefan Meyer, I've been trying to get him for ages, real cannabis OG, many roles, including CEO of Phytoflow, offers consulting and project management services to people in the cannabis industry. Guys, welcome. How are you all? Great. Really good. Hey, very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm cold, but I'm about to go on holiday. So that's good. (laughs) Looking forward to chatting to all of you guys. Bit of a dream team here. And we'll be talking about cannabis seeds, which is weirdly something we've not massively covered on the show before. So I'm looking forward to learning a bit more there. But you guys have all got very interesting backgrounds and loads of stuff going on. So let's maybe talk to you each individually first and and get a bit of the backstory of how and why you're involved in the cannabis space. Jorge, would you want to kick it off with your background?
2: Yeah, sure. I'm the, I'm the oldest. I've been here longest. I've been doing this for 40 years, 40 years publicly. That means my first book, this one here, came out 1983, 1983. before a lot of people that are listening were born, right? So anyway, it was pretty basic. Went through a big learning curve before I, well, I, I've done, I've made 50 books in eight different languages. You can see them all on my, my website, Jorge-Cervantes.com. But the big news, the real big news, you know, I mean, I've done a few things. You can you can see my whole history on my website. That's probably the easiest way to, to look at it. So I don't have to sit here and you know tell you all this stuff. But I've done a lot of traveling and I've I learned that more people talk other languages than just English, right? And to that end, one of the things I'm doing. Well, I've I've done several things, but I've done this one book. It's called We Grow Cannabis. It's a hundred page book, PDF format, all digital. You can download it at my website marijuana-growing.com, and that's marijuana with a J in it rather than a H or a G. But marijuana and you can download it there. And also we've translated into Spanish, uh, Cultivamos Cannabis, and it's also in a PDF format. And beyond that, and that's all free, everything's free. That's really important, free, free, free. And you can also download this book, or at least the first, I think we've got 11 chapters of this book done that are up on the website now, and that's at marijuanagrowing.com. And I'll tell you, this book, we're putting 27 chapters up, the entire book. We've got 11 chapters up now. It's both in Spanish and English. This is the uh, English edition. The Spanish I never never printed because I would have lost money. The book weighs like two
1: kilos, right? So it's, it's quite a bit. <laughs> Just for the benefit of the audience, that's the Cannabis psych- Encyclopedia by Jorge oh. Cervantes. Because audio-only listeners. <laughs> Oh, pardon, pardon. Yeah, the Cannabis Encyclopedia. I
2: could could see the name and you could, but I don't know about everybody else.
0: Actually, this is the longest book you ever read. Yeah, it
2: is. It is. I mean, the thing has got like 600 pages (laughs) in it, you know. It's huge. It's really well done. And it's been, I published it in 2015. So it's like eight years now that it's been out. It's done very, very well. But with the internet, there's so many things given away for free that my partner, Stefan Meyer, talked me into putting this up for free. And I'll have to say it was a great idea. It's really good because this way we can build a community, a cannabis community. And that's what we really want, to get everybody together. Because I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of fighting, a lot of like, I'm the best, I'm the original, I'm this, I'm this. And all these statements start with I. I would like to have statements start with we, we, we we can do it. We can do things together. That's very, very important because we're all going the same direction. Might as well get along.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I love that, that message, Jorge, and that's it's all about collaboration. So it's great that you're doing it. And very interesting, kind of, you've been long in the game, writing all of those books. Have you run into any trouble along the way? I can't imagine those books are uncontroversial.
2: Yeah, you know, I used to have to wear a disguise. Yeah, here's some pictures of it. There's me in a disguise, (laughs) right? And that was so I could go across a lot of borders because I crossed a heck of a lot of borders, you know, most of the time. I had to wear the disguise for 25 years. It was quite difficult. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at one point, half my friends were in, in prison or on parole. That's not, I mean, that's parole. It's not like probation parole. That means they've already served the hard time and they have a bracelet on their ankle. You know, And back then, house arrest wasn't very, very common. But yeah, yeah, that's been going on for years and years of problems. And it's a lot less now. now I don't know if I will go to, to Russia right now, but that's about the only place that I wouldn't go. And that's, well, they tie me to a bunch of other stuff there that I have nothing to do with. I didn't do anything I don't know what they're talking about.
1: (laughs) And before we move on to the other guys, I mean, again, you know, you've got a long history here. What's your reflection of how things are now? And, you know, were you hoping for this to happen earlier, this more this sort of liberalization around cannabis? It hasn't happened quick enough, in my opinion, but, you know.
2: (laughs) Man, I'll I'll tell you, you know, like I said, my first book came out in 1983 and I had to self-publish it. I thought by, you know, another five years, say 1987, 1988, 89, that it would be legal. You know, I really did. And I was just a bit naive, quite naive. And then, you know, I've seen so many things happen over the years. So many people try to take over, take over entire continents, you know, of the business there or not share information do things that would only help them and them alone. Nothing really surprises me anymore. Now, I mean, the big business, now they're involved. And with big business, it's it's interesting, you know, because they're not going to go away. And there's a lot of people that just complain and they do nothing. And then they complain. I say, look, you guys got to get together, band together and move all in the same direction together. Because when you're in fractions like this and all kinds of different small little pieces, you can't really help anybody. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. And the way things have grown have been grown because of politics. And with the big business and stuff, like I said, they're not going to go away. And furthermore, they're going to make big problems for smaller growers in the future. I, I don't see that changing. The way it was legalized, the states have a limited uh, population. You know, I, like, for example, the example I use is the state I was born in, Oregon. They've got like 4 million residents and they've got about four times too many dispensaries for those 4 million. And there's about eight times too many growers. And so everybody's suffering, you know. And then there's two other steps that are going to happen so they, they, they barely stay stay alive, you know, people that have really low consumption, I mean, really low expenses, are going to do very well. But the other ones, there's so many that don't have low expenses. And then the next thing that's going to happen is they're going to allow interstate commerce. And what's going to happen with interstate commerce where you can trade between the states? The states that have a, a better climate are going to dominate it. Like California is, already dominating agriculture in the United States. It will then dominate the cannabis trade, just like other plants. Then the next thing that's going to happen, maybe it'll happen that or the other one for the next thing first, which is they're going to allow banking, banking, and that's going to allow big business to come in, just like happened in Canada. So those things are stuff that the growers say, damn well better pay attention to because they're going to happen it's just a matter of time yeah so that's why I want to I want to see everybody organized and be on the same page ahead of that
1: yeah interesting yeah I think that the issue of oversupply seems to be affecting all markets across the world so it's interesting that you picked up on that as well thank you for that Jorge we'll come back to you in a minute when we talk about the topic of seeds Gary do you want to step in next and tell us a bit about yourself
3: Yeah, sure. So I'm going to start right at the start. I normally chop off this part of of my story, but I I feel it's more relevant, especially given what Jorge just said. My interest in cannabis started growing up in Scotland in my teens. I was kind of an aspiring musician, and I found cannabis was quite useful for creative output. This was something I did. I became a professional musician for a few years and I used cannabis quite a lot during that time as well. But I had an epiphany on a trip to Amsterdam and it basically enlightened me to, to go and study genetics. And one of the, th- the curiosities behind that was why does this plant in particular able to do these things to people? You know, they can, obviously everything starts with the genetics. So I was that was one of the questions that was driving me towards studying that. So... Fast forward a little bit, I did my degree in genetics. I was interested in studying at the time human disease, you know, and, and, and genetic disorders. But I kind of like also like mixing things up. So I kind of studied all sorts of different organisms from yeast to E. coli and mice. But where I really found my home was in was in molecular biology, specifically in plant science. I did a PhD in, in plant pathogen interactions. I discovered a, a class of enzymes in plants that was related to the kind of well, various processes, but one of them was early detection of pathogens. It's something that had been overlooked in the signaling cascade. After that, I went on to study photosynthesis um, in algae. There's a type of algae called Chlamydomonas reinhardtii, and what it can do is it can supercharge its photosynthesis by concentrating carbon around the site of photosynthesis in an organelle called the pyrenoid. And um, this really fascinated me, you know, like if an algae can do it, an algae is a single cell, which, you know, could essentially act like an entire plant, but it's just a single cell, you know. So if, if an algae can do it, then surely a plant can do it. And sure enough, there is a couple of examples of plants that can do it. And yeah, we were trying to work to back engineer it so we could put it into plants to help, you know, feed the feed the soon to be starving world because we are growing a population exponentially almost and we're not, you know, we don't we're running out of space to grow food. And that's a big thing that's we never talk about it in cannabis, but it's a world problem and the predictions are like by 2050 we're going to start really having major food shortages if the population keeps rising the climate keeps becoming you know continues to be unpredictable so anyway i'm sorry i'm going off on a bit of a tangent there but yeah so that's did my phd did the photosynthesis and then kind of came full circle by getting a job at pharmacies as the as the genetic expert so i was going a shop around the world for genetic suppliers and we scrutinise them and we find the best and then we supply that to the, the LPs around the world. That's essentially what I've been doing for the last two and a half years in the industry. i chair, the chair of the plant science and the Cannabis Industry Council and it's been an absolute pleasure to work with Stefan and Jorge writing the book We Go Cannabis and then coming back full circle to my roots of of using cannabis as a musician and then, you know, having gone through that kind of like academic and professional path and now coming back in to explore more, well let's make this a community because that's where it all started for most of us, you know, so yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell
1: Brilliant, thank you Gary, that's superb I like that, taking in lots of different angles as well, Um, I'll ask you a bit more about the music another stage (laughs) Stefan, finally I get you on the show how lovely to have you here
0: Yes, yes, you try to force me a few times but this time when, when Jorge asks, then I always have to say yes, he ultimately has the Ah, so I wasn't convincing enough on my own, but okay. Exactly. The legend has the power. <laughs> so you got to say yes to Jorge. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So maybe, you know, instead of telling you my story, since I have already more than 20 years of friendship with Jorge, I will tell you a little bit how how we met and how it, it also interconnects to my story. The long story made short, we have a very good common friend that passed away. So may he rest in peace, our uh, Goyo, photographer. And he was touring Switzerland, taking pictures for high times Of in that time, in the year 2000. You know, there was a lot of new fields. There was a gray area in the law. You could perfume your cupboards with THC flowers, which was a little bit of a... I don't want to get into the legal aspects, but was tricky, let's put it this way. But it was all possible. And, and Jorge, which was, I must say, in that direction, always very careful to understand what was happening outside of the US, which was... For sure, still, the, you know, it all started from California and, and then nobody puts that in doubt. But all humans have an endocannabinoid system, I was told. And uh, people have enjoyed cannabis all over the world, no? as we know, with this plant, which is so adaptable. And he was immediately hearing things were happening in Switzerland and, and getting on a flight to Europe and wanted to take pictures. And as I said, Goya, which is a splendid photographer, if you have a chance to check him out online, was touring with him. And I was showing around a few friends which were growing. And so from there, we also kept connection because there was a good vibe. We had a good time together in Switzerland. And from there, we always kind of uh, shared information, which is, I think, the nice thing of Jorge is that he always stayed the grassroots. And, you know, he never showed us his Bentley, though I I was told he had five. But he's more of a, he walks around in the show and uh, takes a picture with everybody just because I think he is a, it's kind of his nature Now his DNA getting back to the genetics of Gary is to be a simple person enjoying you know the, the, the basic pleasures of life, which is also part of our connection. And so there you exchange information and after I went on into few dreams, and ultimately in 2012 I was getting the first uh, research license from the Ministry of Health in Spain. So an official license to investigate medical cannabis. Now there are many, but in that time, that was the very first time the Ministry of Health granted one. And with that team, with a company called Phytoplan Research, I was able to research on one side, we were doing breeding. With breeder Salvatore Cassano, we were looking at chemiotypes. So what's the most productive variety of CBDV and THCV? And you really go with every cannabinoid uh, rather than with every fantasy name. It, there was no train wreck there. There was 777-42. Those were the names of the breeding program, of course. And so we went with science, with a very accurate vision. And also on the other side, we tried to purify those cannabinoids to bring them to GMP. So APIs, so-called ingredients for pharmaceutical products in the pharmaceutical industry. So I would say probably the most challenging system I've ever had to deal with in life. But meanwhile, we still stayed friends. And it was then after the pandemic, almost at the end of the pandemic of the lockdown here in Europe, that Jorge called me up one day and said, you know, I'm sick and tired of staying home. I'm sick and tired of doing nothing. Let's do something. And we started to, to visit a few friends together and we had fun. And so far, it's been uh, a lot of fun. Also, because Jorge is uh, more and more uh, happy to, to change, to become a digital Jorge, if you want. And I think this is a very important step also for his legacy. I mean, so that, you know, people can get to know him. Of course, the need has changed. The first book, no, that Jorge, you, you, you couldn't even get a, a book company to print, right? And uh, you had to print by yourself. And now it's digital and you download it, you know, 50,000 copies in a week. I think it was the first. So it's the dynamic has changed. But the, I think ultimately, and then I, I shut up, the need to grow cannabis is still there. Now we are humans on this planet This is a wonderful plant. And I think grassroots, just like people like to produce their beer, they should be allowed to grow at home at this beautiful plant and get in contact with nature and have this one-on-one, no? When it goes industrial, we see what happens with the the canopies and all the, you know, billions of losses, which is kind of uh, still difficult to understand. But when you grow at home, it becomes a personal, intimate relationship. And Jorge has always been very careful, I think, on this side, and also addressing basic problems. This is not the the championship of who's the best grower in the world, which seems to be uh, <laughs> quite popular. But it's also sometimes, hey, don't overwater. Be careful of this. Look at this color of the leaf and try to understand what you did. So I think that's really the power. Yeah, fantastic.
1: I love all of that. And that's actually a good segue into talking a bit more about growing itself. Thank you, Stefan. So, yeah, talking about seeds specifically, maybe we start with a bit of 101 on the different ways to grow cannabis. And if you can give, hey, can you just give us a high level of the main ways to grow from seeds versus clones versus tissue culture? Maybe just tell us a little bit about the pros and cons of each. Sure, no problem.
2: So a couple of things I wanted to do first, I got to show a picture. This is my our good friend Goyo. And I, I hope people can see this because this is from this book here, Marijuana Horticulture. But yeah, Goyo, we miss him a lot. You know, I'm his old friend, and what can I say? And this was taken in South Switzerland, in Ticino. And also, Stefan and Gary were co-authors on We Grow Cannabis. And I didn't mention that before, I'm, and I'm so happy to work with them. They are, like, young, smart, <laughs> and uh, wonderful, wonderful guys. And, yeah, and as far as seeds go, there's a lot of things that have changed, you know, with seeds. Well, first you've got seeds, you plant the little seed, It comes up, and it could be a male or a female, and the main ones that we want are females if we're not breeding, or they could also be a feminized seed. And of seeds, you've got two, well, two basic kinds, one photoperiodic reactive, and that means they need 12 hours of of darkness and 12 hours of light flower, or more or less that photoperiod, which hours of light to darkness during a 24-hour period. And then you've got uh, non-photoperiodic reactive, or they call them auto-flowering now. And those flower after usually about three weeks of growth. And then they have a different flowering rhythm. They, they'll start flowering, but they'll, they'll flower slowly. And then they'll, they'll grow up higher and stuff. And we've learned an incredible amount about them over the time. And then also with seeds, and then the photoperiodic reactive and the autoflowering plants, they can either be feminized or not. And feminized means they have a high propensity for to turn out or female plants, which produce more, more flour and that have a higher drug content, both CBD and THC, as well as the other cannabinoids. And then on the other side, we've got cuttings or clones, people call them, and that's just simply uh, the tip of a plant cut off, or it could be, you know, part of a plant cut off and then rooted, just like you'd root a flower or geraniums. We used to root geraniums all the time. And there's pluses and minuses on both sides. The clones, for example, those have the potency of the mother plant, and they're much quicker. It takes about two and a half weeks to, for a good solid root system to develop. And then they can be uh, grown up, say, to a foot tall, thirty centimeters or forty-five centimeters, a foot and a half. And then they can initiate flowering, or they can be put outside to initiate flowering underneath the, the sun. Or if it's an autoflower, it'll it shouldn't really be transplanted very much. That's a smaller point, though. Or I mean, yeah. And then after that, or no, autoflowering, you can't you can't really take clones of those. Pardon. But the clones also have a very big problem. One thing is they can get a disease like, oh man, there's several, but the powdery mildew is a, a main disease they can get. You can't see it. It's inside the system of the plant. So you don't know if that plant has a disease or not. And yeah, yeah, it could be a big problem. And then it's a lot of times soil borne or will move through the entire population of plants. And so you could have a complete room full of sick plants and not even know it until way late, until it is too late. On the other side, the seedlings, they generally don't get disease. You can get them with, I mean, they can catch it later, but you've got a way better chance of not getting any disease whatsoever when you're starting with seedlings. And as well with the seedlings, you know, it's a cross between a male and a female plant. Usually it can be a self plant that's crossed with itself, but that's a little bit more sophisticated. So anyway, what happens is, like I said, they usually don't get diseases. And two, you've got a much larger selection of varieties you can grow or strains of plants. It's almost infinite because cannabis is an outbreeding plant. But also with seeds and breeding before, I mean, the cannabis growers, especially the illegal one, They've done really well. They've done incredible work over the years to make sure that the plants would produce as much high THC content as possible and were disease and pest resistant. But nobody really knew what they were doing so much. I mean, they kind of had an idea, but were really using tactics, breeding tactics from, well, the 1930s to the 1950s and maybe even early 60s. But now we've got... Really well educated people like Stefan and Gary that they show a whole new world because now we can scientifically test all of these plants and know exactly what we're getting. And we just go, go forward much, much faster than before. Before it was kind of like rolling the dice and throwing them against the wall and seeing what happens. Except instead of like a couple hundred different possibilities, there's a couple hundred thousand possibilities. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's kind of like the basic Brilliant. difference between cuttings and seeds, or clones and seeds.
1: Thank you, and it's good to see the pros and cons. And disease seems to be a big factor in this, but good to see that the breeding has happened to sort of counteract some of these undesirable effects. Let's say. And so, maybe, maybe Gary, you could step in on the next question. Seeds in itself, there is a huge commercial trade in seeds. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I suppose that's quite key to what you do at pharma
3: Seeds. Yeah, absolutely. So seeds, have, as Jorge said, have changed a lot over the last few years. But generally, I mean, as far as I can see, and, and not to overgeneralize, but you have two types, other than the varieties that Jorge explained, I'm talking now about the, what, the, what the seeds produce. Generally having now, so we'll assume they're all photoperiods and all feminized, for example, right? What we have is the traditional breeding would also, would often produce seeds that were very good for phenol hunting, where you would have variation within the seeds. The seeds are brothers and sisters, and those the variation between those brothers and sisters can be seen. Okay, just the same as it can within humans. But there's another way, a more agricultural way of breeding, which means that you do selective breeding for generations and you create what's known as IBLs, which are the inbred lines. And these are very homozygous. This means there's very little genetic variation within those plants. Now, when you cross two of those types of plants, you create often a very stable F1 hybrid. So when you have a seed lot produced like this, often you have a very uniform phenotype versus the more kind of what I would call something for phenol hunting, you know, more variation. So a commercial level on the legal level, the licensed producers around the world level, we're obviously trying to grow for consistency whether that be for medical or whether it be for recreational in some of the places in North America, consistency is a a big driver. So this is one of the considerations when you're dealing with seeds. And often, you know, the time it takes to make seeds that are really uniform and stable results in a higher cost because it takes years sometimes to create those lines versus just crossing two polyhybrids, which is done often historically, and that doesn't necessarily produce a very stable progeny and which is why in cannabis we often use clones back in those days because you would have to phenol hunt from the seed, then you would find what we call a winner, and that mother plant would then be passed around, the clones from that would be passed around because it saves people from doing the phenol hunt. So different markets have driven the genetics of the seeds in different ways, and now we're on a place where in general what we're seeing is an overhaul when everyone's trying to do things more professionally than it was done before more in line with other agriculture but you've always got the other element as well the legacy element is still there so you have in my mind they'll have these two different elements of of breeding one's more professional in agriculture one's more you know basement and, and loft based but both can produce phenomenal things which is the wonderful thing about cannabis you know and then Just to throw in one other aspect to this, when you go to the the natural populations of cannabis fields around the world in Asia and stuff like that, when you phenol hunt from there, if you don't do it on site, wherever you do the phenol hunting, the environment plays a, a factor, obviously, in what comes out. So there's almost an infinite play we could have with these genetics if we went back to the source. And this is the big thing that I wanted to make a point about when you asked me about genetics is, we need to increase the genetic diversity because we have tons and tons of strains out there or cultivars, but they're not really diverse. And we need to bring more diversity in, both for what Jorge what was talking about for disease resistance and, you know, for a never changing climate and to grow in drier places, for example. We need that genetic diversity. And also for the different compounds that the plant can produce currently in in a minority level, or sorry, in a a limited level, we might find other variants out there that can produce that in a higher level. And that may be more beneficial for various health things. So when I'm supplying seeds around the world, there's a lot of consideration, the environment, what you're trying to do with them. Do you want to phenol hunt for something unique and then create a mother planting and then do clones for consistency or do you want to grow straight from seeds for, for consistency and then that's one of the considerations i wanted to think of and those two things i prefer different suppliers to do both because they have different expertise in that in that side you know does that somewhat answer the question
1: yeah no that's brilliant very comprehensive and i mean the key bits that i pulled out of that is the need for consistency and the, the sort of inherent variation we're trying to sort of minimize that just so that you know what you're producing and, and people know what they're buying consistently from the, from the same person. So that's very, very interesting side of it. I guess one of the things that maybe I'll, I'll ask Stefan about is building on what Gary said, is the the growing environment that's suited for seed. So very basic is, you know, something that grows well in Morocco, I assume would have a, a different path if it was grown in Switzerland, for example. How do you kind of see that, Stefan?
0: That's for sure. Same genetics in different climates, different growing conditions. They react completely differently. I remember one of the first times we were growing for phytoplant, it was a variety that was a fiber variety for the north of Italy, so in the region of Bologna. And when taken to the south of Spain in Sevilla, where it's very dry and much warmer, did really bad. Just simply the the same genetic that was perfect for one. So definitely very important. When you say bad, do you mean there's in the the crop doesn't yield much, or it's more susceptible to disease? No, no, that definitely did not. You always look at some parameter to evaluate yield, no? In a fiber variety, is usually the amount of fiber per square meter, or when you're looking at cannabis for, for smoking, it's usually the gram per watt or the grams per square meter, grams per plant. These are all kind of KPIs, if you want to use a, a technical term, that tell you, mm, this way of growing is, is good or not. All I was saying in that direction is that you really have to test every genetic in a specific growing environment, because there is no magic rule. It's not because it was doing good in the you see more mild climate, which is more humid, that you take it to where there is more sun, which in theory is a a booster, but it's more dry and warm, so it doesn't become more productive. It becomes less productive. And there might be other varieties, which when you take them to to Sevilla, so in the warm and, and dry, they do produce more, just because they need less humidity and they appreciate the extra sun. Especially if you irrigate enough for them to be striving, right? But, you know, this, this brings a bigger topic. If you allow me to explore, which is the beauty now, you know, we heard Jorge used to go in disguise and you can imagine the level and quality of science at that time. I have great respect for those that put their life at risk because, you know, you were 20 years of jail before you even know for risking your life to grow cannabis, which is, if you sit down, a pretty absurd concept. But. The level of science in a situation where you cannot share any data or you go to jail is relatively low. We can agree, I think. No? And while now that we can finally, you know, research about it in universities with serious trials, with collecting data the real information is coming in. And I think that's one of the advantages of having such a little author and two co-authors is that by bringing also the the, the science that definitely Gary's is an expert in genetics and, and my experience in operations doing licensed producers so upscaling, which is another really uh, ca- complex topic, when we put all our information together and we, have, we never had a fight, by the way. We wrote a book together and we never had a fight. We had... Animated discussions, and we had a please think about it twice for sure, but we never had a fight because at at the end I think growing is a little bit like cooking, you know. There is great ways of being different at cooking, and that's what makes the difference of the three Michelin restaurants, which I had a few the pleasure to eat in, they're not similar, and they are both interpreting a special art almost in a different way, and that's what makes it, you know. So the idea there is only one way of growing, in my opinion, is fundamentally wrong and that there is one specific way of growing a specific variety in a specific condition, that I really believe. But that is done through generating data, by collecting, by comparing something which is complex, because it's not a 10-minute chemical reaction, it is a 20-week process from the moment you do the cutting, which has to keep the vigor, to the moment you have to flower it and most people over water. You know, there is all kind of issues that then make the final data, which is your grams per square meter, grams per watt, whatever it is. And for that, I, I love now the idea that we're bringing in science. And I think the market will also change. In the seed market, we haven't really seen too much of the genomics and, and all the markers that can be shown and satellites and whatever... Gary can explain you in detail, but show me it's different. No, we've been calling train wreck. There's uh, interesting studies now showing that train wreck in the US. Is something which has a lot of limonene, but then in the other place is a lot of pinein. And so basically, we are giving names to things which are completely different, probably for marketing reasons, because it becomes a hype and everybody wants train wreck. So, can we bring some science so we understand this fascinating plant, which by itself is already very complex? So, the moment you throw also prohibition and stupidity onto it, it becomes pathetic.
1: Yeah, wow. There's so many things there, isn't there? I mean, there's quite a few projects that are looking to sort of standardise because the, the names are literally just marketing, aren't they? Really, and the huge variability from different jurisdictions on the same purported name of, of a strain or cultivar. So, I know efforts are being invested into figuring that out. Uh, Gary, I think you had something you wanted to add quickly on this.
3: Yeah, I was just to say about the, you know, the Stefan made some great points there, but it's funny because we've all been around the world and seen cultivation at different scales on different levels. But one of the things I think we three agree on, which is strange that you have, as Stefan says, you know, almost three cooks agreeing on one recipe. Actually, if the plant is grown in a kind of natural way with rich soil, then that produces a product that is generally of high quality you know if the plant's been managed right and it's grown naturally or oh, not to say that's the best way i'm not saying that at all it's just we three can agree that that is often results in a good product because you have the natural biome in there which can buffer against a lot of the problems that you cannot do in an artificial system so yeah it was just that little point I wanted to add on to the back of that
1: (laughs) well look it's very topical I think with AI taking over the world isn't it so artificial versus real bigger topic but I think one of the other things that Stefan mentioned which again is a topic for another day is is the difference between kind of small scale cultivation and, and large scale cultivation and the huge amount of issues that come with that. And I think many licensed producers across the world have, have experienced this through naivety or ignorance at great cost, I think. But yeah, that's another topic for another day. hey, I'm going to come to you as we kind of close this out. One of the things you talked about at the beginning, which I think is central to, to what you're doing is this idea around community and connecting growers. So, As we kind of finish up, do you want to talk a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I sure do. It's funny, you know, I mean, I owe a lot to both Stefan and Gary about this, especially Stefan with the community stuff, because unknowingly I developed a community myself around the world. I knew a bit about it, but I really didn't understand how close we could connect everybody. Well, now, since we're going from, you know, written books, written, a lot of people have this one sold over a million copies, you know, but. A lot of people, you know, have this book, but in English, Spanish, Dutch, you know, just a few languages. But now now we can take all these books in a lot of different languages, not just, you know, five European languages, but we can put them in Thai. We can put them in Russian. There's a lot of Russian speakers around the world. A lot of them are not in Russia. You know? And there's also no borders. We don't have border problems. I mean, I've had a lot of problems with borders, trust me, a heck of a lot. And, you know, where we couldn't get books into a country like Australia, that was really difficult. You know, we had, took them three years to catch us, you know, after I got the first notice, three years. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud of that. (laughs) And then Canada as well. We had uh, huge problems there and lots of places, Latin America, it's huge. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't pay you to send a book that weighs two kilos everywhere, you know? And people just have less money there. So what we have to do is now everybody has the, the mobile phone and we have good bandwidth. Now's the time we can really build a nice community and have a lot of different languages and a lot of different climates as well. We've got everything from you know tropical to short climates, so freeze climates, 90 days without, without freezing or, or less. And I'm really excited about getting everybody together and getting across some of this just basic problems we've had in the past of, you know, this industry has really built it where where you've got people over here in one area do not communicate with the people on the other area. And I want to make these circles connect. And that's what we're doing now. And we're not just doing it, you know, just for commercial reasons like, Usually it's done. We're doing it because, to me, it's, I mean, for, well, Gary and, and Stefan and me, it's just a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> and you know, you feel really good every morning when you get up, smile in the mirror. It's like, I want to do more of that instead of going and thinking, well, see, I'm going to make another 1,000 euros today. That's, you know, I mean, some <laughs> people are really into that. It never really worked out well for me. You know, a thousand euros is nice. Don't get me wrong, but I'd rather have a smile. I'd rather have a smile all the absolutely. time. And there's nothing like people saying, thank you. Feels great. Yeah. Feels
1: great. Yeah, absolutely. I applaud any efforts to bring people together. So I, I love the story behind that. Guys, the time is kind of quite tight. So I'm going to have to wrap it up now. But thank you all for, for sharing your time today. We barely scratched the surface. I think we could have talked about lots of this stuff. So I'm seeing another show coming up that we need to get you all onto. But thank you again for joining us and it'd be great to have you back on at some point. Thank you, Anuj.
3: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, for sure. Cheers.
1: And Grow Cannabis. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. will help me spread the good word on how this amazing industry is developing. I'm a commercial lawyer, and I work with a number of cannabis businesses in the UK. If you need help with commercial contracts, data protection, employment, corporate, or other business legal needs, please do get in touch with me via LinkedIn or at anuj at canvas.global.